Does climate change impact volcanoes? And did China just beat France to become the second largest nuclear energy producer in the world? Welcome to the Climate Recap from the Bechtosphere Climate Corner, your go-to place for international and U.S.-based climate news. I'm Becky Hogue, a science writer. Today is Friday, August 12th. Let's jump right into the news you need to start your day. Let's start with some extreme weather events. Tokyo broke its record for the number of severe heat days in a year earlier this week when temperatures hit 95 degrees Fahrenheit or 35 degrees Celsius for the 14th time, according to the Japan Meteorology Agency. Over in Europe, amid an intense drought, wildfires in the Grande region of France forced over 10,000 people to evacuate their homes Wednesday. These dozens of fires have burned down about 15,320 acres, or 6,200 hectares so far. This area was already hit by massive wildfires last month that destroyed more than 20,000 hectares, forcing more than 40,000 people out of their homes. Meanwhile, the drought has dried out key commercial spots of the Rhine River to the extent that it's interfering with shipping, pushing up freight costs by fivefold. The drought, caused by little rain and intense heat waves, is only expected to get worse. Ships have to carry less to avoid running aground, only loading 30-40% to capacity. Germany's GDP is expected to take a 0.5% hit from this. This is a great example of climate change messing with the economy. The Rhine River runs from the Swiss Alps down to the North Sea. Time for some very concerning climate studies. A new analysis published in the journal Nature determined that if we breached 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, we could wake the sleeping giant. The East Antarctic ice sheet is by far the largest in the world, and it has the potential to drop ice exponentially if we pass that goal. Scientists didn't think this side of the continent was as sensitive to climate change as West Antarctica, where the Thwaites or Doomsday Glacier resides. But see, this is what happens when we learn new things. Things end up being worse than we thought. For example, another new study, this one published in the journal Communications, Earth, and Environment, concluded that the Arctic is warming 3.8 times faster than the planetary average. Scientists previously thought it was warming up only twice as fast, so this is alarming news. But this is why what we've been seeing, particularly with all the Antarctic wildfires and ice melt, seems early compared to what the computer models predicted. The Arctic region includes Alaska, Arctic Canada, Greenland, Scandinavia, and Siberia. Speaking of Scandinavia, scientists are wondering if melting ice associated with climate change is at least partially responsible for the increased volcanic activity in Iceland. How climate change impacts volcanic activity in cold regions is a very understudied area of research. Decades of research have shown, though, that more active volcanic periods in cold areas are correlated with periods of ice melt, and this is particularly shown to be the case in Iceland. Geological data shows that the average eruption rates in an area were hundreds of times higher at the back end of the last ice age compared to earlier in the glacial period. Eruptions that did occur during the ice age were also smaller than the ones after. This is because as ice and glaciers melt, it releases pressure on the Earth's surface, which increases activity in the crust and the upper mantle. This can lead to the development of more magma. Data shows that magma underneath Iceland has been increasing due to warming climate and melting glaciers. Great! There's also evidence that changes in weather patterns could impact tropical volcanoes too by destabilizing their tops, but that area of research is even less studied. But climate change-induced heavier rainfalls could have helped destabilize Mount Semeru in Indonesia, which erupted at a larger scale than local officials were expecting and killed 50 people last year. 
Intense rainfall could have also destabilized Mount Kilauea in Hawaii, causing it to erupt in 2018, albeit less dramatically than Simaru. Also, the cooling effect of volcano eruptions can't compete with climate change, so that unfortunately is not a silver lining we can rely on. Okay, we need some climate victories. The U.S. National Nuclear Safety Administration announced that China has just become the second in the world for nuclear power generation, accounting for both what's running now and what's under construction. The U.S. is first and France is now third. China has 54 nuclear plants on the grid and 23 are currently under construction. This fleet will produce 70 million kilowatts by 2025. Nuclear is a carbon-free form of stable energy, though it's expensive and can be dangerous. I think I'm going to make quick one-sentence explanations for the pros and cons of every energy source, kind of like my methane line. If you listen to this on YouTube, give me your best one-line description of any energy form in the comment section below. The European Court of Human Rights has received another climate litigation against a government to review. Six young Portuguese claimants are being represented by a team of 10 baristas from various UK-based chambers to take action against 32 of the 44 European countries. The plaintiffs call climate change a human rights issue. The case is being represented by the Global Legal Action Network and is funded through crowdfunding means. It will be seen before the court in the coming months. If the plaintiffs win, it will legally require all the named governments to up their climate goals. Other similar cases to be seen before the court include a French mayor suing his country and the senior women for climate protection Switzerland suing the Swiss government. I'll let you know if anything comes from these. Over in the U.S., cities around the country are building climate resilience hubs to stay cool during heat waves. Miami-Dade County in Florida became the first to turn 40-foot shipping containers into mobile solar-powered chill spaces to hang out, use Wi-Fi, charge your phone, and can sometimes have fruit trees planted around them to lessen food insecurity. Meanwhile, Tempe, Arizona budgeted $2.3 million towards a one-stop resource center that will have not just AC, a walk-in freezer, and free ice, but also job support, GED classes, housing assistance, parental programs, and the list goes on. Similar hubs are being planned in Austin, Texas, Seattle, Washington, Portland, Oregon, and parts of Northern California. Speaking of California, yesterday Governor Newsom released a water-saving strategy for the state, which could see a 10% drop in its water supplies by 2040 due to climate change-induced drought. It focuses on accelerating infrastructure projects like the desalinization plant being built in Central California, boosting conservation, and upgrading water systems to improve things like water capture, storage, and recycling. Most of the conservation will come from increasing above and underground storage. Critics of the plan say it doesn't focus enough on decreasing agriculture's impact, which represents 80% of the state's water use. I don't think it says anything about stopping top drink corporations from taking our water supply either. Instead, Newsom is putting a lot of stake on desalinization plants. California currently has 14 desalinization plants that handle seawater and 23 that handle brackish water. And now we have several climate fails. According to a recent AP investigation, Myanmar has become a sacrifice zone for critical mineral mining with some of the world's most prominent companies like General Motors, Tesla, Volkswagen, Mercedes, and Apple getting materials from that region. We're seeing a repeat of the classic trope of outside forces coming into a resource-rich area, stealing local land and paying off militias and even the government to keep locals in check and decimating the environment, leaving the people there poorer than they started. 
78 companies have been linked to these activities and only a third have responded to AP's request for comment. GM says it recognizes the issues associated with mining in Myanmar and is looking to move its processes to the U.S. as soon as possible. Mercedes said it's contacting suppliers after hearing information presented by AP. Apple said that the majority of their rare minerals were recycled and it does not get supplies from Myanmar, but there's no way to be sure. Sounds like they've really got a good understanding of their supply chain if they don't know. And Volkswagen and Tesla were among the companies that did not respond. I highly recommend reading AP's report, which you can find in the source list linked below. Meanwhile, satellite imaging of methane emissions from 2018 to 2019 shows that the cities of Buenos Aires, Argentina, Delhi, India, Mumbai, India, and Lahore, Pakistan might be emitting 1.4 to 2.6 times as much as they think they are due to landfill emissions. Landfill emissions contribute to half of Buenos Aires' emissions, about a quarter of Mumbai's emissions, 13% of Lahore's emissions, and only 6% of Delhi's emissions. Sounds like Buenos Aires and Mumbai, in particular, need to work on their waste management. In South America, Brazil's Congress passed a new bill that loosens restrictions on cattle ranching in the Pantanal wetland, which is an essential transitioning ecosystem between the Amazon rainforest, the Atlantic forest, and the Corrados grasslands. This area has already shrunk by 29% since 1980s, but this impact was slowed by a 2008 bill restricting how much livestock agriculture can take place in the area. Private landlords will be allowed to convert up to 40% of their land into pasture if this bill passes. Advocates of the bill say it will add 1 million cattle to the area and will add tourism opportunities, but the environmental impacts of destroying this wetland, which is nearly twice the size of Ireland, could result in eventual harm to the local ecosystem, as well as disrupt planetary balance. Also, we need fewer cattle on this earth, not more. This bill still needs to be signed by the Mato Grosso state governor, and it's unclear which way he'll lean. He did just oppose a bill that would have added hydropower to the Pantanal Canal, and that was seen as positive news for the local environment. So I'll keep you posted on which way he leans on this one. Let's end today's episode with one more climate victory news headline. The U.S. and the Democratic Republic of Congo have agreed to form a working group to conserve the Congo Basin, which is home to the world's second-largest old-growth tropical rainforest behind the Amazon and the world's largest tropical peatlands, a huge carbon-storing ecosystem. The area also includes Virunga National Park, which has the world's most important gorilla sanctuary. The DNC is currently auctioning off some land in this region for oil and gas exploration. In November, Congo promised to protect these ecosystems during the UN Climate Conference, COP26, but since then, the energy crisis has changed up the country's priorities to favor profit. The U.S. Secretary of State Blinken recognized the predicament Congo is in and wants to work with the country to grow its economy in a way that can preserve these essential ecosystems. Finally, I just want to remind everyone that the U.S. House of Representatives is set to vote on the Inflation Reduction Act today, which would be the largest climate bill in U.S. history. Hopefully, I will have good news to share with you about that on Monday. And that was your climate recap for Friday, August 12th. If you like the work I do, please follow this podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a review, and consider checking out the Becosphere Climate Corner YouTube channel. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Bye for now.